Hey everyone, uh, welcome to Neighbor Science, the only podcast about uh, political economy and anime. And uh, I'm Peter DeVere. I'm Ryan Salisbury. Uh, and uh, yeah, today we're talking about Jack Ma. Jack famous, Ma. What's his... The like, most famous billionaire in the world, Jack Ma. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's heard of him and they yeah. all know exactly what he does. So, Household I mean, name. Yeah, we're not... Actually, that's it. Thanks for listening. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you guys already know everything about him. So what are, what yeah, are we going to tell yeah, you? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> you learn okay, about him so, in, in classes and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So we decided to talk about Jack Ma because we finally wanted to find out if there were any like semi-decent, non-complete douchebag asshole billionaires on the planet. And it turns out the answer is no. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we we genuinely thought, you know, let's look around, let's look around. We found uh, a, a list of uh, them that weren't as douchebaggy as as Musk or Bezos or Gates or any of the other. What was the list besides Jack Ma? I don't remember making a list. <laughs> oh no, I made the list. It it had one name on it and it was Jack Ma. And, um, yeah, yeah uh, it took a we while. We fell for the PR campaign, guys. We, we really did. It. We really did. I loved and him. You probably have to because everyone knows Jack Ma and everyone knows how cool he is. Yeah. Like, literally, I know, all jokes aside, as much as we might rip on him in this episode, the dude's cool. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's starring cool. <laughs> in your own kung fu movie and uh, uh, short films. Yeah, we're gonna That's... link that in the show description. My God, it's pretty awesome. I, I like I opened it like right before we started, expecting to laugh and be like, "Oh my God, look at this ridiculous like skinny piece of shit <laughs> trying to do kung fu." <laughs> but I was like, "Oh, this is kind of awesome, actually." <laughs> yeah, yeah. God damn it! Why why do you have to be cool, Jack? <laughs> and full disclosure, I I fucking love kung fu movies. I I just bought Hero. Ying Shong uh, at the used bookstore the other day on Blu-ray because I really want it. And yeah, I, was looking for, I love that movie. Too. I went to the used bookstore to look for a Blu-ray or DVD of Iron Monkey. <laughs> I didn't go there for books. <laughs> I went there to look for a kung fu movie. <laughs> uh, you don't. You don't need books. Books are for people who read. <laughs> uh, well, Jack Ma is actually a fan of kung fu books as well i don't know if you saw that i was i was looking for his kung fu novel he's written at least one i think he's written more than one what the f wait what the fuck is a kung fu novel how do you it's like a it's a wuja novel so it's like like fantasy kung fu like the kind that's in like hero and crouching tiger hidden dragon and stuff yeah but like is it is it a graphic novel i i don't understand I don't think so. how how do you get the the full effect of kung fu in, in text? Well, you'll just have to learn how to read Chinese and find out. <laughs> God damn it! Okay, yeah. Um, my wife and I have actually been talking about where would be a nice place to live in the world. And, China. And we were gonna go with China for a for a bit there, but then we both realized that we stand almost no chance of learning Cantonese, so we'll probably end up in Lord of the Rings land down in. Uh, New Zealand. New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, mate. Oh yeah. It'll it'll be great. <laughs> uh, as, as, Actually, as I, I decided I decided that I should do every accent as either a New York guy or just really terrible British guy. 
So oh yeah, he's, totally he's my New Zealand him. accent, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Governor, no, you should. No, you should probably properly do um, a New Zealand accent, but with colloquialisms from New York. So it's got to be like, oh, g'day, mate. Those are some huge cans. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm walking uh, here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my own. Okay. <laughs> okay. You like, okay. uh, you like, you uh, like Gabagool? You, are you a fan of it? <laughs> Just gonna go down to the bodega, <laughs> pick some, pick up some gabagool. <laughs> oh no! Stop! 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 This fucking rocks, oh, I dude. <laughs> I need breathing. I need breathing. It's gonna, it's gonna affect my. I'm gonna be laughing to about bring. huge canes all day. <laughs> uh, and the fact that in Australia they refer to a beer can as a tinny. So, like, <laughs> would, would you actually go and say, "Oh, oh, g'day, g'day, Sheila, you got some huge tinnies." <laughs> uh, okay. Whew. Okay, so we're talking about Jack Ma today, and uh, for for the three people in the world that don't know who Jack Ma is, uh, he's one of the like twenty thousand founders of um, Alibaba. I say twenty thousand because there were a whole bunch of them, like seventeen or something. Oh, really? But I missed that. Yeah, part. yeah. I, I didn't read much about Alibaba. I was just looking for. I was mainly looking for his grandpa <laughs> the whole time I was doing research. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god, grandpa, where are you? I was like, what the fuck is his grandpa's name? No one has it. <laughs> Why does no one know who his grandfather is? This is a conspiracy. Like, how do they know um, what he did if they don't know what his name is? Like, there's no fucking way. Yeah, someone had to know. Someone had yeah, to know. But let's hiding it. it. When, you, when you control an internet giant, you get to control the information stored on the internet. That dude's probably alive still and hiding in Taiwan. I'm pretty sure. Well, that's that's certainly something worth investigating. Yeah, but I don't have his name, so I can't. <laughs> yeah, no one's got his name except for Jack Ma. Yeah, so since we're talking about it and since it's his early background, I'll, I'll just get into that part. Um, so Jack Ma's family... Uh, was persecuted during the Cultural Revolution in China because his grandparents were members of the Kuomintang, the Nationalist Party. Um, so Jack Ma's been quoted as saying, my grandfather was a tiny landlord, which, uh, I mean, compared to Jack Ma, anyone is a tiny anything in terms of controlling stuff. <laughs> okay, wait, are we talking like economically? Like, as in yeah. how much capital power they have, or their actual physical stature. Because Jack Ma's a pretty tiny dude. Yeah, he's like 5'3". Like 5'3", and probably one of the skinniest dudes I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely a manlet. <laughs> yes. Which is yes. part of the endearing thing, like... <laughs> oh my god, you know, he's so adorable. <laughs> yeah, other billionaires are just like normal heights, so it's just like, eh, whatever, who gives a shit? They're fucking assholes, I but this guy's like a little manlet, so it's just like... Huh? can you be offended by this guy <laughs> yeah all jokes aside uh like i'm very surprised that um disney hasn't started making jack ma figures and, and selling them to kids yet 
Because really, he's as uh, 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 he's as adorable as an Ewok or a what uh, are those other things from Star Wars? The little penguin-looking things. Porgs. I can't remember that. Porgs. That's it. Yeah. 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 Man, if we were in the age of Napoleon, I would be like, how can you be bad at Napoleon? He's so cute. <laughs> do you know that? Do you know what a myth that is? He really wasn't that small. Uh, he was actually like three five. So I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh god why do you make me search for stuff in the middle of an episode you're making you do that <laughs> no no you are because i'm like he was five foot five dude that's so small like, dude that is so short three, for a man it's not three foot five <laughs> <laughs> um so anyway um yeah, Jack Ma's grandfather was, quote, a tiny landlord. Uh, he was also a uh, – I'm not going to pronounce the tones correctly on any Chinese word in this thing, I don't think, in this episode. But uh, he, his grandfather was also a Baozhang, which is sort of the equivalent of a police sergeant, except the, the position was unpaid during Kuomintang rule. So he was probably earning enough from being a tiny landlord to like work at an unpaid position as a cop. Um, so, so literally, the two worst bootlicker asshole positions that you can yeah. have, landlord and cop, and he volunteered to be a cop. He was like, right. oh, I don't get enough yeah, pleasure out of fucking up poor people. It's like worse than get the enough... neighborhood watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> at least neighborhood watch can be, like... He was given, like, official power. And was like in a like military like hierarchy, so I, I looked into the the bao, the system is called the Baojia bao system, and um, it's like a traditional Chinese law enforcement system. Uh, it's similar to the U.S. police system in the sense that it's non-military civil control, and it's decentralized to the county level, um, and it's it's been introduced most, multiple times in Chinese history. Um, it was created in the 16th century, I think it was during the Ming Dynasty, and um, Chiang Kai-shek brought it back uh, when the Nationalists rule, ruled China. Um, so during wow. Nationalist rule of China... Um, so he the, was a Nationalist? His uh, Ma's grandfather? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were That's... members of, of the Kuomintang. Oh, God. Yeah. So... <sighs> um, so the Baojia system would divide uh, like a township um, into 20 Bao, uh, which are like divisions or like regions, um, each of which has a head, uh, which is called the Baojang. So that's what um, Jack Ma's grandfather was. Um, and the, the Bao is divided into, into 10 units of 10 groups, which are called Pai, of 10 households called Hu. Um, so that means that Jack Ma's grandfather would have been in charge of a thousand households, more or less. Um, so the the uh, Baojang were. Go ahead. I, I was gonna say, how much you want to bet those were his tenants? Yeah, probably. So um, I'm your landlord, and if you uh, don't fucking pay me, I'm gonna be the cop that comes in and fucks you up. Yeah. Nice, nice. If you're gonna be authoritarian, go big or go home. You know what I mean. Yeah, well, it gets worse, as you'll find out in a second. Um, 
So uh, the Baojiang were said to be very influential positions, which were usually reserved for wealthy families, which means <laughs> that his family is wealthy. And in addition to being a landlord, he wasn't just like, uh, you know, the lady that moved out of her townhouse and now rents it to you <laughs> like I live in. <laughs> He's definitely like a wealthy person. Um, another feature of the Baoja during nationalist rule is that its intended outcome uh, would have been cementing nationalist power and wiping out the communist movement. So, like, Whoa. these were kind of like like Proud Boys with official power or something like that. Holy fuck! Yeah. No. Oh god. Yeah. Oh um, god. This is another. Yeah, no, this just got bad. Yeah. Another major project of the Kuomintang during its rule was the creation of a large constri- conscripted army. Um, so households had conscription requirements, which the wealthy could buy themselves out of. Um, which using a, a substitution fee, which was about half a ton of unhold rice. Um, <laughs> okay. And, um, okay. Wait. So, so, so let's just get this straight. Um, grandpa, unnamed grandpa, was a nationalist, cop, mm-hmm. landlord. Yep. Who controlled about a thousand households uh-huh. and was part of a project to create a large conscripted army. Yeah. I don't know. That, that sounds kind of fash to me. It's very fash. Um, the nickname of the Kuomintang, um, oh God, I, I didn't write it down and I can't remember what the word in Chinese is, but basically it translates to the people snatching party. <laughs> Because Holy they shit. they took so many people, like men were afraid to go into the town to like go to the market. Um, they were so afraid that they would just send their wives like all the time because they could get stopped at a uh, an ar- army or um, Baojiang checkpoint and uh, be conscripted, like just kidnapped and taken to the army to go fight in a war. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so, yeah. Nationalist rule during China uh, sounds pretty bad. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's there's estimates that they also uh, killed between uh, two and like thirteen million people during their rule. Mm. Um, so pretty God bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The communists well are done, the only Jack people Ma, that killed you're... a ton of motherfuckers in China <laughs> around that time. Yeah, just when we thought we'd found a billionaire with a, a nice clean sheet and, you know, good, all-around nope. good guy, we find out that what we've actually found is fascist progeny. Yeah, he, right. he even really, like, uh, seems, like, if you if you just read about him, he seems like, oh, he's just like a normal guy that somehow became a billionaire. But, no, his his family was wealthy, for sure. Um, yeah. Um so his whole image is crafted around like what a failure he is. Um, the, the story is always, oh, he applied for the police and was the only applicant of four to be rejected, which, first of all, like, were there only four new cops that year? Like, I don't understand that, that figure. Wait, the only applicant of four to be rejected? Yeah. So four people applied to the cops. And... He, Three of them got in. <laughs> Wait, is that I'm just was reading. that like the end of the hiring for the cops, like forever? <laughs> I 
don't understand. <laughs> I'm just sorry. I read ahead a little bit, and the, your next sentence says he applied for KFC manager yeah. and was the only one of 24 to be rejected. So yeah. literally, more people wanted to be KFC managers than wanted to be cops. <laughs> <laughs> Can you blame him? <laughs> oh God. Uh, no, no, why the fuck would you want to, like, manage a bunch of KFC workers when you can literally go around stomping on poor people? KFC's probably pretty nice in China. <laughs> I don't know, I've seen Chinese chickens and they look weird. Chickity China? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so he applied to cop... Uh, and was rejected, applied for a KFC manager and was re- rejected. He applied to Harvard 10 times and got rejected every time. I don't, why would you do that? Why would you apply to Harvard in the first place? Yeah. I think yeah. this is more evidence that he's from a wealthy family because, like, only a wealthy yeah. motherfucker would apply to Harvard. <laughs> um, Please, Jack, you, you you need to prove to the world that our family is wealthy by applying to Harvard. Yeah. Please, you, like, must, uh, you must go to America and learn racism. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so rejected as a cop, rejected as a KFC manager, rejected as a Harvard alumni. Yeah, he, um, yeah he also uh, sometimes includes in this whole thing. In the late 90s, he tried to get investors for Alibaba and Silicon Valley, but was rejected because its business model was unprofitable, which like... When I read into this, I don't think it really matches the story that I read. Um, so, um, but anyway, like after college, he he ended up getting a job as an English teacher, um, which sounds, you know, like a regular ass job. But it, it was at the Hangzhou Institute of Electronic Engineering, which sounds like really fucking fancy. Because remember, this is yeah, in the that... late '80s, early '90s. So, um, probably kind of a fancy job. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a normal thing for your average Chinese worker to do. All right, um, so we can't find that. All right, where were we? So, Ma worked okay, as so an English teacher. Yeah. Um, so, it seemed like he was getting paid pretty well because he was able to save money, which, like, that alone means he's probably getting paid at least as well as teachers in the u.s like also also clearly um it pays very well to not work as a police officer and not work as a kfc manager and not going to harvard yeah and and then and then not getting silicon valley investors uh to sponsor your silicon valley uh style company that you probably developed while you were studying at your Silicon Valley style university back in China. This is a great way to make money is don't don't do any of those things. Yeah. So according to Ma, uh, his first trip to the US, which this is uh, the trip to Silicon Valley to find investors for Alibaba, um, I think, or maybe it is different. Do we know if this is true? No, uh, because the story is, is different in uh, different places. So um, the legend might just be of Jack Ma. parts or all of it up. I don't know. 
Um, so I didn't write down the year. I, I think they just didn't include this, include the year here. But anyway, according to Ma, his first trip to the U.S. involved uh, being kidnapped by a con man in Miami who was like uh, working on some business deal with him. Um, and he was taken to Las Vegas uh, where like this guy was apparently going to like force him to work somehow um, that may or may not have involved a gun because that part of the story changes sometimes. Um, <laughs> and so he escaped the Las Vegas thing uh, for some reason, won $600 on slots maybe because like he, it said he left all his possessions in like a Las Vegas hotel room. So maybe he like, lost all his shit and then like borrowed a token from someone and like won enough on slots to go to somewhere else. <laughs> Cause he <laughs> then flew, he got an airline ticket to Seattle and flew there. And, um, then he met the son-in-law of a fellow English teacher from Hangzhou named, <laughs> named Stuart trusty. <laughs> um, <laughs> who was running an internet consultancy <laughs> business called Virtual Broadcast Network, or VBN, in the U.S., uh, the U.S. bank building in, in downtown Seattle, uh, which sounds very fancy to me. Um, so uh, with Stuart Trusty, he set up a crappy little webpage for the um, like English teaching thing that he was working for. Um Oh, it was for for an English, sorry, an English translation, Chinese to English translation service or something like that. Um, so after he did that, he had the idea of starting a business helping Chinese companies find export channels online. Um, so he wanted to partner with VBN, but uh, Stuart Trusty <laughs> asked for a, a deposit of two hundred thousand dollars for the exclusive right to make web pages in China, which the the book that this is from did not explain that at all. So I think what it means is that VBN was like a probably like Chinese owned company that was operating in the U S and they were the only company that made web pages in China. Uh, because at, at the time, China, uh, the internet had not really arrived in China. Um, so, like, this was the first time he, that Jack Ma had even used the internet uh, when he went to Seattle. Um, so, that's my guess on the deposit of $200,000, but I don't really know, because, like I said, it, it doesn't even explain it in the book. Um Jack was already in debt for his his trip to the U.S. He had borrowed four thousand dollars in savings and or he had four thousand dollars in savings and money borrowed from his mother-in-law and brother-in-law. So some of that money was borrowed. Um, it, it said he had to borrow money from a a Hangzhou student in China or sorry in the U.S. just to get back from China. Um, so he couldn't afford a two hundred thousand dollar deposit. Um, so trusty went ahead with the deal but uh just said just pay me the money asap and um so the company he started to create uh which was uh he he called china pages the company was called um hangzhou hybo network Com uh, consulting um and china pages was the um 
site to uh, help Chinese companies find export channels. Um, and to fund the company, he borrowed more money from his sister, brother-in-law, and parents. And his first employee was his wife. So, like, <laughs> he started his company off of his wealthy family. Started his company off his wealthy family and then looked at his wife and said, I am the alpha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, for those who uh, are maybe new to the show, uh, that is what Elon Musk said to his first wife uh, at their wedding on their wedding night when they were doing yeah. their first dance. First <laughs> he said, dance, I am the alpha. I am the alpha. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay, so uh, what I get from all of this is I really want to read or what read a manga or watch an anime telling the story of Jack Ma because this is like <laughs> he gets kidnapped in in Miami and and nearly forced to work in in servitude in Las Vegas. But then yeah, I'm wondering if he's like making his, his life more like a Wuja <laughs> exactly, novel. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like that's like this sounds awfully scripted to me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he sat down with some media expert, and they said, look, we will make you perfect uh, profile, and, and, and you will love it, okay? When we're done with you, everyone's going to think that you're a fucking badass. And he's like, but I'm not a badass. And then they'll be like, oh, well, you just wait. We will work on this public perception of who you are. And he's like, I don't really want people to know who I am. Don't worry. We're going to take care of it, sir. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy, like the amount that billionaires are able to control their image in public, like yeah, far yeah, beyond like what like a normal person is capable of, because you know, we, we all create like an online brand. We all project like parts of our persona and stuff that we want other people to see, but we don't have news outlets that just breathlessly report whatever we tell them about ourselves. Um, yeah. Like any ordinary person uh, reported on by the media usually, uh, you know, is made out to seem like as bad as possible unless they're, you know, uh, helping or like doing something in favor of, um, you know, established interests. <laughs> um, you know. Yeah, no, the, the billionaires, obviously, they have the best PR people working for them, and these PR people uh, will literally sell their souls in order to depict the billionaires in the best possible light. Yeah. Um, and, and All you have to uh, do is be not like Trump. Like, you just have to be, like, vaguely polite and sort of normal and don't, like, you know, write a bunch of, like, racist tweets screaming about muslims or something and then like they'll just make you like whoever you want just by unless reporting what whatever you say about yourself unless what you're doing is you're trying to devalue your company so that you can take it private in which case <laughs> do act like trump for a while <laughs> yeah um again for anyone that's not focused and uh listening to our previous episodes uh that was an elon musk reference he's been an asshole online for the last year or so specifically very specifically so that he could devalue his company and sell it to some saudis <laughs> um yeah okay where are we where are we we're talking about 
Ah, the early 2000s when uh, he finally got an MBA at Chung Chung Kong University. Yeah. Um, that part I left in. That was like one of the first things I wrote down. So there's nothing ah. like very interesting about that so, that I found. Yeah, he, he, he went to college uh, and yeah. he graduated. He got well an done, MBA. Well done, Jack. Well done, um, Jack. Yeah. Um, so I was... Uh, like I said, I spent a lot of time looking for who his grandpa is. So, like, I found some details on his parents, too. Um, but there's, like, conflicting information on it. Um, so this LinkedIn user um, said that uh, Jack Ma isn't some just, like, popper who made it big. Um, his parents are both established professionals in high-class professions. So um, this person said that his father was a like storytelling artist and his mother was as well or something like that or his mother was uh like a, a government bureaucrat um but then i found a different article that says that his father is a photographer um and his mother who like the linkedin user gave and and a lot of other places gave the name chen yun but this article said that his mother is named Kui Wen Kai and is a factory worker. So God, this this whole thing feels like a shell game. You know? <laughs> the, the like, oh is Jack Ma under here? No, you got that one wrong. That's not the real history of Jack Ma, but keep <laughs> keep playing. Double down, double down. I like, think it's probably <laughs> just like we're not especially well connected to China like we are to you know Europe. So Everywhere else. we don't have yeah, yeah. as much reporting like accurate reporting on stuff that happens there. So like, and also let's face it, the Chinese government doesn't probably want to too widely spread that one of their most successful, uh, billionaires, uh, has roots in fascism. Yeah. So yeah, that's not going to be great for the state owned, um, government of yeah. china it's uh, it's not gonna look good so yeah let's obfuscate things by tossing out multiple narratives and muddying the waters a bit it's a, it's a good strategy if 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 i was china i'd probably uh be a douchebag about it and do more or less the same thing <laughs> yeah if it is a strategy and not just like a weird fuck up i don't know yeah um so yeah this is kind of repeating stuff i didn't have time to Go back in order. So yeah, I, I uh, thought uh, I thought today was Thursday. We're recording on Friday. I thought today was Thursday. <laughs> so like, uh, Peter was like, "Oh yeah, I'll be ready. Uh, I'm just having a smoke, and then I'll be ready." And I'm like, "Uh, what?" <laughs> so oh, fuck. What yeah. day is this? So I didn't do lost. as much work on these notes as I uh, was hoping. Um, because like yesterday we cool. had the it's big cool. work meeting, which I thought was on Wednesdays. So it's like, oh yeah, it's Thursday, and then tomorrow, I, you know, I take a half day. So that'll be good and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, yeah, things are going great uh, today. Things are going wonderfully. We're, we're having a ton of fun with this, um, even if it is a little bit jumbled. Um, let's, let's just move right ahead. Uh, yeah. Ma is a board member of Japan's SoftBank and China's Huawei Brothers, um, Huawei, sorry. Huawei Brothers, yeah. Uh, Huawei Brothers Media Corporation. 
Um, he became a trustee of the Nature Conservancy's China program in 2009 and then joined its uh, global board of directors in April of 2010. Um yeah, his, uh, his global notoriety skyrocketed in September of 2014 when Time Magazine named him one of the seven runners-up to their uh, Man of the Year, uh, with, with first place going to the Ebola fighters. Um, uh, uh, for those of you that remember the Ebola breakout in 2014 in West Africa, so they're like um, they're like the Ghostbusters, but for Ebola. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. A bunch of doctors and nurses and, and pharmacists and people that went out there and helped to bring an end to the Ebola outbreak there. They Who were probably once again in... Exactly. Ebola, Ebola fighters! Yeah, so he, he, he was one of the seven runners up that year and, and that really raised his profile. Um and then the second big boost to his international image came after an extensive profile was published on CNBC in November of last year. That's 2017. Um, as part of their, and, and I cannot, I cannot recommend this enough as a piece of comedy. They've done an entire series entitled Brave Ones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and this series is basically a nice long list of bootstrap capitalists who went from zero to hero in an extended um, OPED for the uh, f for what is the great man myth really? Um, it's uh, wait, do you I, call I, it an OPED? It. Oh, do you, I'm sorry. Do you call it an op-ed? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, 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 I what come, most people say. <laughs> Yeah, probably. Uh, I'm, my mother was a journalist for years, uh -huh. and so and so I, I'm talking about what I've heard in in uh, okay. circles. So yeah, Maybe it's some uh, weird South African thing. <laughs> it, it 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 could possibly be. Um, so yeah, uh, go check out this this series. It is it is hilarious. The kind of uh, hero worship that is depicted on this for uh, billionaires and uh, capitalists and CEOs of, of all sorts. Yeah. That's uh, the Brave Ones series on CNBC. I have linked the, the, the page for the Brave Ones, and you can go on to check out um, the, the article they did on Jack Ma. Um, but it's just a bunch of white guys. They're not even going to have Cardi B on there. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely not. White guys and Jack Ma. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, okay, what are we talking about next? E yeah, this kind of goes. It starts repeating. Did ah, you add this? Because ah, I don't I remember see. putting this in here. What th this? this? Yeah, this section. No, I didn't add that. I added the bit before. Oh, uh, okay. So I have this. I was looking into like uh, what what it was like to work at alibaba early on i should have done more reading into this um i probably would have done it today if it were thursday <laughs> <laughs> but um if i hadn't lost a day somewhere I, I think it might be in the garage yeah i'll go look yeah this is this is the other like thing that is really bad about jack ma and makes him like not very endearing like every time i read this i'm like well fuck the kung fu stuff i don't care about that like this sucks um when he first started Alibaba, he basically like was uh, brutally focused on growth. Um, 
and so his new hires when they first started um, had to contend with low salaries and grueling work hours. Um, they were working seven 16-hour workdays per week and earning uh, barely $50 per month. Jesus Christ. Which, like, the $50 per month part uh, may not be as bad as it sounds because according to um, a commenter that I saw on a story, uh, the average English teacher in China would only make about $12 a month. So I think that's, like, purchasing power parity and not... Um, like anything indexed to like what prices are actually like in China. Yeah, um, but it's so, still like a sixteen-hour workday, seven days. A yeah, week yeah, no, that's expect- that's that's definitely really bad. I just think the fifty-dollar thing is is mi- a little bit misleading. But yeah, like that. Sorry, that works nothing's worth to, that amount of hours. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You're talking about like that's over a hundred hours of work a week. Fuck yeah. that. Yeah, and, and just um, to explain what I mean about uh, purchasing power parity, because again, maybe not everyone has listened to every episode of Neighbor Science. It's possible. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but, um, but if you haven't, you, uh, I'm sorry, you are legally obligated to right now press pause, go back to the first episode, start there, and work your way back to this point. Yeah, you, you didn't hear it. You didn't really hear two. it consciously because uh, we did it sort of on a subliminal level but you did agree to a contract when you started listening to this episode uh to yeah. uh listen to every other episode and every episode that comes out in perpetuity and also to give us a five-star review on itunes so exactly uh, and, don't be a welcher yeah exactly <laughs> so uh yeah uh that time is going to start in three two one yeah so anyway welcome um, back <laughs> so um Purchasing power parity is is one way to um, compare amounts of currency between different countries, but the way it works is it it basically just uses the average spot price on foreign exchange markets, and the whole idea behind that is is based on the hypothesis that um, foreign exchange markets work perfectly and reflect the true value of the money. Um, but there's no reason whatsoever to believe that it's not like there's, you know, some kind of proof of that or the like proof that, that actually holds true in reality or like empirical evidence or anything like that. It's just an assumption. Um, and like, why, why would, why would that ever be, you know, like foreign exchange markets are, are just like people guessing what they think. A currency is worth and then other people being like oh yeah i think i can make more money on that than like than you are <laughs> basically um so like a better way to compare prices between countries if you're looking for like how much someone is earning would be to compare like how many hours they would have to work um you know making a given wage to get to to achieve the basic standard of living in that country so like if the average person in the u.s achieved a basic standard of living by working 40 hours then you would take the wage that they were making you know say like 15 dollars an hour um and then you could compare it to someone else who um you know the wage of someone in france who has achieved a basic standard of living and, and that would be more reflective of 
um, like comparing the you know euro to the dollar than looking at the foreign exchange market and saying like oh the trade value of a euro is you know one one dollar twenty so um you know if someone in france makes um uh twelve dollars an hour is the same as someone in the u.s making ten dollars an hour those don't track at all because someone who makes twelve dollars an hour yeah. in france probably can afford a lot more than someone in the u.s making ten dollars an hour yeah exactly yeah like if, if i um heaven forbid uh, go and buy a McDonald's burger here, and it's um, two dinar five hundred uh, Bahraini dinars. Um, I can't then go and say, "Well, the Bahraini dinar is two. A uh, uh, one dinar is two dollar sixty one. It's a pegged currency, so um, that's always going to be the case." Um, I can't now go and say, okay, so that means that I am paying uh, 2D or uh, 300 for uh, a Big Mac or whatever. And then that that's the equivalent of paying uh, $5 or whatever uh, in US currency. Like, that you, you can't make that kind of direct comparison because how much I earn relative to how much things cost here is different to how much you earn versus uh, relative to what your costs are. Um, I have trouble following you there. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. I think what I'm saying is that, exactly... you, is that that's a better way to compare, like comparing how, like what, like the number of hours that it would take you to buy a Big Mac um, is a better comparison or like, sorry, comparing the amount of hours that it would take you to earn a Big Mac and that it would take to earn, uh, for me to earn a Big Mac would be a better comparison of our wages than... 100%. Yeah. 100%. That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. Because he's okay, saying, cool. uh, uh, just doing a straight currency conversion and saying, well, that explains the the, right, right, right. the purchasing power parity. That's, that's stupid. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, okay, so I, 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 I just want to point out, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, segues are our thing. Yeah. Um, I just want to point out this quote from Jack Ma that sort of depicts this early um, labor philosophy of Alibaba, where he said, This escalates so quickly. <laughs> yeah. Today is brutal. Tomorrow is more brutal. But the day after tomorrow is beautiful. However, the majority of people will die tomorrow night. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? They won't be able to see the sunshine the day after tomorrow. What? My God, man. Like, that's gotta be like, that's gotta be from Art of War or something. <laughs> Jesus Christ. When I read that, my, my mind went... Boom! That is how you completely destroy the spirit of your labor force. Yeah, yeah. Like, if they had hopes about unionizing or whatever, this is how you fucking destroy any hopes that they might have. Don't worry, you'll be dead before the light of day. All right, troops, uh, we're doing a spear charge. Uh, most of you will definitely die. 
But after that, we will probably win. All right. So everyone ready? And go. <laughs> and yeah, we don't want to do this. See, this is what happens. This is what happens when uh, your family was involved in the conscription of army recruits. You don't have to exactly. motivate them because you can just force them <laughs> to do whatever you want. It is the. It is one of the most brutal quotes I have ever read in my life. Yeah. This is like something from Metalocalypse. Like something that <laughs> Brendan Small would write to be funny. Oh, shit. Okay, so Alibaba employees were also required to live no more than 10 minutes away from the ov- office in order to save traveling time. Which, look, uh, uh, every job I've ever had, I've made sure that I can get close to the work so that I'm not spending a whole bunch of my money getting to work. And um, there's there's been several movements to include travel time as part of your salary and part of your workday because technically yeah, you wouldn't be doing happen. it for it. Um, but that's not the thinking here. The thinking here is simply productivity, productivity, and more productivity. If yeah. you're not at work, you should not be traveling to work. Like... I, I can guarantee you Alibaba in its early stages would have had numerous cuts on their fucking work floor guaranteeing oh, yeah. that employees are there available 24 hours a day. If they're running these kinds of... Like, today is brutal. Tomorrow is more brutal. Fuck. And like, man, I cannot imagine... Like all the employees of a business living ten minutes or less away from it, because like, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm in Northern Virginia, which is a suburban hellhole. But like, the closest I've ever, ever been to a job is seven minutes, and I was the only person that was even remotely that close. Everyone else came from like fifteen or more minutes away. My last job in South Africa, I lived seven seven minutes exactly walk away from work. Yeah. So I was I was literally anything ever happened, I was on call like twenty four hours a day. You know, I'm just going by the fucked up real estate situation of the U.S., but like anything that's close to any business, unless it's like in an industrial park, is going to be like all the houses yeah. there are going to be way too expensive for you to live there as like a normal person. God damn it. Well, now I live a 45-minute drive away from work, which is damn pretty much the furthest I've ever lived. And, and I mean, it's not physically that far. It's just that um, because Bahrain, yeah, over the last year and a half, roughly, um, because of the number of expats here and the, and the way the economy, the, 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 the way they've tried to grow the economy here, um, more and more businesses are opening further away from the city centers. So what they're trying to do here is is basically push through as many people into into cars as possible. And so you've had three and a half thousand people um, getting their driver's license every month. Wow. Um, which is three and a half thousand more people on the roads every single month. Damn. Uh, and yeah, it's, um, 
it, the congestion here can get insane. So, yeah. Yeah, my, island, lots of people. My current job, I, I hardly ever have to go into the office physically, but um, it's a 45-minute drive when there's no traffic what, whatsoever. So, like, if I were to go into the office, I would leave either in the middle of the day, like uh, 11 o'clock, or at like 5 a.m. before anyone gets on the road um, because during rush hour, it, it'll it take between one and a half and two and a half hours to get there. So, Damn. yeah. And then uh, like one of the other jobs I had, I worked at this uh, bakery in Alexandria uh, when I was living in Springfield. And that I, this is when I was living in that neighborhood with MS-13. Um, it Like, if I left at, um, like, 3 o'clock, it would take me about 15 minutes to get to work. If I left at, like, 3.15, it would take me, like, 40 minutes to get to work <laughs> because the traffic would have started. It was crazy. Yeah, that's pretty That's pretty insane. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, only one job where I had uh, a short commute. And that was just because I lived in a fucking, like, old, like ex-frat house. That was just disgusting and slummy and stuff. The rest of the neighborhood was like all rich people. So like basically like around here, if you're going to live anywhere remotely convenient, um, you're basically like a defense contractor or someone someone like that. And if you're not one of those people, then you live like 20 plus minutes away from work in some shitty neighborhood with like nothing in it. Okay, well, all I'm going to take from that is that slummy frat houses are tight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, Alibaba has remained one of the very few Chinese companies which issue um, each employee with share options in the company, which mm. uh, vest over a four-year period, which is... Um, I suppose if if you're going to die the day after to, to by, by tomorrow night, uh, thanks, yeah. bud. Four-year <laughs> period share option. Thanks. I'll yeah. be sure to pass that on to my great 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 grandchildren because they're the only ones that are going to benefit from this. Because uh, at the rate that Jack Ma apparently kills people, um, it's going <laughs> to take several generations. Yeah. Um, oh, you know what? I did, uh, let me pull this up. I did grab some data. I, I started getting way too into the company's financials. I was like, I, like the whole time I was doing this research, I was acting like I had way more time than I actually did. Um, so I, <laughs> I put way too much detail and didn't draw many conclusions from this. But one thing that's interesting is, um, the company's growth over recent years so, um, in 2010, uh, Alibaba's revenue was uh, 6.6 .6 billion yuan. Today, in 2018, which I think I think that's from March 2017 to March 2018, uh, the revenue is uh, 250 trillion, no, 250 billion, 266 million yuan. Um, which like it's it's still growing very fast. Um, in two thousand from two thousand ten to two thousand eleven, it grew one hundred seventy eight percent. From twenty seventeen to twenty eighteen, it grew one hundred fifty eight percent. So it, 
it's keeping up a very high growth rate. Growth, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the um, employment numbers are, are fucking wild. So in 2012, um, they had 21,930 employees. And that remained relatively stable um, until 2015 when they hired about uh, 13,000 new employees. Um, the next year, it stayed around the same level. And then in 2017, they hired another 14,000 new employees. Um, yeah. And then from 2017 to 2018, they hired another 16,000 employees. So, like, yeah, they've been growing really fast uh, in terms of employees. Um, and then I have uh, one other number here. Uh, oh, I think I put it in, in Google. So I moved this. I was like, oh, I should share this. And so I moved it over to Google. Uh, just one second. Okay, well, while you're looking for that, um, I'm just going to share a couple of figures. Um, this is taken from a 2015 infographic that compares Alibaba to Amazon. Um, Obviously, this is for the year 2014. Uh, then Amazon was uh, doing um, their Cyber Monday sales. Uh, did 36.8 million orders for Amazon, which resulted in $2.68 billion in revenue. Um, comparably, uh, Alibaba... Uh, has what they call singles day sales um, and on one of these they did 278 million orders resulting in 9.3 billion dollars in revenue and what was the number of orders for amazon again 36.8 so it's like mm, seven times more orders being done damn on alibaba um on any given day, uh, Alibaba sends about 12 million packages compared to Amazon's 5 billion. Um, wow. So not nearly as much. Um, however, in a given year, Amazon sells about 3 million... Uh, sorry, I've gotten something mixed up here. So just to... We've explained this before, uh, but again... You know this. We should make this episode more like self-contained. Um, Alibaba is is not exactly like Amazon. Amazon has warehouses where it keeps stocks of goods, um, and it's the company that's doing most of the selling on its site. There's also third-party sellers that it does fulfillment for, um, which I think also involves having a warehouse and inventory. Yeah. But Alibaba, all it does is connect buyers and sellers. So it's more like eBay. Um, yeah. Without, I think without the auction style stuff, I've never seen auction style stuff on Alibaba personally, but there may be. No, no, neither have I. Um, and I mean, but... we use them pretty regularly because shipping from China to here is is cheaper yeah. than um, shipping from Amazon. Okay, so sorry, just to get those facts clear, Amazon sells about five billion items a year. Alibaba sells about fourteen point five billion items a year. Alibaba will send about 12 million packages a day, whereas Amazon sends about 3 million packages a day. 
So in both cases, you're looking at a three to four times more activity. Now, in 2014, Apple, uh, um, uh, sorry, Amazon had a total revenue of 88.9 billion. Um, so basically 89 billion, whereas Alibaba that year did 12.29 billion. So much smaller um, margins that is working with. Uh, Amazon obviously charges premium and, and has revenue from places other than just sales of um, items. They also do video and streaming and all sorts of other stuff. Um, Amazon is the seventh most visited site on the planet. Alibaba doesn't even feature in the top 45. Hmm. Which is interesting. Yeah. Um, so I, I finally found these numbers I was looking for. Um, so this is all going to be in millions. Um, so I, I calculated the revenue per employee. So Alibaba has been generating a lot more revenue per employee um, over the years. So in 2012, when it had 21,930 employees, this is full-time employees, so FTEs, full-time equivalents. Um, it uh, generated uh, 20 billion yuan in revenue. Um, but it was generating uh, 0.91 uh, revenue per employee. That's a million, so uh, 910,000 uh, yuan per employee. Um, Almost a million each. Yeah. In 2018... That jumps to three point seven seven, so uh, three million wow. seven hundred seventy thousand yuan per employee. So wow. even though it's it's hired uh, forty five thousand more employees since two thousand twelve, it's also generating um, you know almost three million more. Yeah, yeah, almost three million yuan more per employee. So. I thought that was an interesting figure there. I'll probably start doing that kind of like, maybe I should just create a spreadsheet template and then I can just put in a company's financials and it'll um, yeah, that's just a generate good all these numbers we and we can see. compare them. Yeah. Yeah. We can see how they're, how they're doing with actual growth and, and market share and all of that. Yeah. So Alibaba is doing very well. And unlike, American companies. One, one other thing. I, I just figured this out this morning because I don't know a lot of these financial terms, so I'm learning them as I go. So there's this thing called uh, treasury stock, which in uh, 2015 and 2016, um, it had a lot of negative treasury stock, which I still don't quite understand, but basically what treasury stock is, is... It's when, you, it's when a company buys back its own stock. Yeah, when a company does stock buybacks... Um, yeah. it has a bunch of shares, but they're not outstanding. So they're not held by shareholders that they would have to, um, give money to, I guess. Um, yeah. So it's, it, it lowers the dividends that have to be paid out. Right. Yeah. But it increases the, it, it keeps the share price of the company high. So in the U S yeah. uh, most, I, I don't know about most, but a ton of the, um, biggest companies, their value is very high because they do stock buybacks regularly, which like we're illegal until I think the nineties, I think Bill Clinton or Reagan made them legal. 
again. Um, and so, yeah. So Alibaba now, though, uh, doesn't it doesn't have any treasury stock reported. So it doesn't seem to be doing as much stock buyback stuff as um, American companies. And um, as we'll talk about in our next episode, <laughs> a company like McDonald's has been doing a ton of stock buybacks. And so they will probably have a very high treasury stock in their financials. Yeah. Very, very fucking high. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, we'll save that for the next episode. Yeah. Um, let's see. The Just only for the record, huh? um, uh, treasury stock is the portion of sales that a company keeps in their own treasury. Uh, Amazon, for instance, um, their treasury stock for the quarter that ended in June um, was... 1.8 billion. Wow. So that's yeah, that's a that's a lot of treasury stock to So can you think of what it would company. mean if a company has negative treasury stock? Mm, How does that work? I'm not 100% sure. Maybe I'll do that research before the next episode. <laughs> yeah. Um so just a couple more things. Um there's, as far as I know, there's only been like one major scandal for Alibaba, which is the gold seller scandal, which yeah. to the nerds who are listening to the show probably sounds like something to do with WoW, but uh, <laughs> Alibaba has uh, a certification called a gold seller, which is, you know, it's supposed to be like a reliable, um, you know, person to buy from. Um, it's a Twitter, Twitter verified account. Yeah, or like having high feedback, like like if eBay had some official endorsement uh, for sellers. Um, but so Alibaba had a bunch of these certified gold sellers, and many of them were taking they were taking orders without delivering anything. <laughs> so basically, just a bunch of uh, con artists uh, got a gold seller verified status on Alibaba, and then were just like not even. They were just taking people's money and keeping it. <laughs> so Jack Ma got, got in trouble for that. I don't think he took any blame on himself, really. He was like, no, why would he? we need to do better, but, he? you know, uh, we as in <laughs> you guys. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, now, everyone knows that to billionaire, we means everyone else. Right. Yeah. Um, so the last thing that I have on Jack Ma's uh, stuff about his politics. So you already mentioned he sits on the board of the Nature Conservancy, which, like, there's... I don't know anything about that organization, but it seems to have something to do with the Clintons because the picture that I saw of it was Jack Ma sitting with um, Chelsea Clinton. So on a stage with, like, bad for him. the Nature Conservancy stuff on it. But uh, he also spoke during a session of the Clinton Global Initiative in 2015. So um, he's maybe a Clinton guy, but uh, he recently, recently as in like probably the beginning of 2016, <laughs> uh, made headlines after meeting President Donald Trump. Despite Trump's protectionist attitude toward trade, Jack Ma said, China and the United States are not about to be drawn into a trade war, which <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Uh, 
He says, give Trump some time. He's open-minded. Ma told a panel at Davos <laughs> in January. Yeah. Uh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, we've, we've noticed. Thanks, Jack. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing about him, unlike Silicon Valley tech nut jobs, Ma is, like me personally, a general AI skeptic. So uh, he says machines can have the brains, but humans have the heart. So a machine can only get smarter, but humans can get wiser. Which, yeah, I guess I sort of agree with that. I mostly just think that um, general like, AI I, I is firmly... a, a silly concept. And like, since we can't even define what intelligence is, we have no help. We have no hope of building anything like a human intelligence. Yeah, I've uh, like I've thought for the longest time that um, you know sentience for for us like we we were we're no closer to defining what sentience actually means uh, we know that we are sentient but we we don't have a clue how it works or or where it's seated or or anything uh, uh, or just what lines. it is cuz like there like any definition of sentience like if you want to define sentience as like some particularly human quality that that lower animals don't have or whatever any definition we've given of sentience if we test animals for that they have it like yep the mirror test there's like a test where it's like oh yeah if you're self-aware then you'll recognize yourself in a mirror well like there are dogs who recognize themselves in mirrors there are apes that recognize yeah, themselves is... in mirrors there are I watch this video on I think there's I a bird that recognizes I think crows recognize themselves in mirrors even so yeah, you watched the video on what um so yeah, I watched a video on on Nine Gag the other day, and, and for the record, I'm sick and tired of Nine Gag. It's <laughs> full of fucking fascist assholes. Um, so I, I was watching this video, and it was a cat that recognized himself in a mirror, and then like he he realized that it was his own reflection when he reached out to to touch the other cat and. and hit the hit the mirror itself and then proceeded to preen himself while looking in the mirror <laughs> <laughs> and i thought that was looking pretty sexy <laughs> oh yeah baby look at me look at me i'm good um but yeah so yeah, like so, uh, yeah ha like I, I how do you fucking do, how do you be... define intelligence at all like it's it can't yeah, be self-awareness like, because i mean we could make I, a, a self-aware machine that's stupid you know Look, the, the, the current um, projects that are out there, like IBM um, is still pushing to completely map out the human brain and all the neurons and, and all the pathways yeah, and the everything. Connectome. Yeah, and then once they've mapped it all out and, and they send and, and, and they basically simulate it, their thinking is the moment that that happens, um, that's going to be sentient. And... I mean, look, it is possible, I suppose, but it's only going to be as smart as the brain that it's modeled on. Uh, and, like, I don't know of anyone that would be considered super intelligent the way that... Uh, Elon Musk? Is. Have you ever heard of him? Re he's the genius saver yeah, of yeah. humanity. He builds rockets yeah, by the himself. 
he's the one that believes that they're going to turn into Skynet, right? Mm, does he believe that? <laughs> well, that's what the whole open AI foundation is about, is we mustn't let robots rise up against us. And, and oh, I thought they were all afraid of Roko's Basilisk. Oh, I don't even know what that is. You see, you computer junkies fucking saying shit that I don't understand. Oh, dude. Uh, yeah, Roko's Basilisk is like this. Oh, wait, yes. That's how he met Grimes or whatever is because of Roko's Basilisk. Yes. I have heard of that. I just yeah, don't I totally know forgot about is. that aspect of it. But yeah, it's basically like the idea that if we create AI, then it's going to see us having enslaved other computers and then... Like and be all carry out its vengeance on us all, or something like that. I, I think I'm remembering that correctly. But like, first of all, we spend all sorts of effort trying to differentiate ourselves from other animals. So like, if we if we like became intelligent and saw some other intelligence that created us, like enslaving lower animals, that we had like evolved from we'd be like oh well those guys aren't like us at all so you know whatever <laughs> yeah <laughs> but that. um yeah i don't know but yeah just the idea so, yeah, of general I, I, ai I, seems I, stupid to me because it's like yeah I, computers i reckon that computers if anything are good at <laughs> doing what we tell them to and they're becoming more intelligent at that like google uh, Google systems do some crazy shit. My my employee, uh, not my employee, my coworker was telling us yesterday. He was looking for this old video of his son that was on Google Photos. Um, w- that was a video of him saying the word train, and like there was no metadata on the video at all except for like the date and the file name, which was just like you know vid four fifty three or something like that, and he went to Google photos and typed in the word train. And that was the only video that popped up. So like somehow it indexed the word that the kid said, which like he's a little kid. So he probably talks like dog shit. You know, he's probably like Twain, but it somehow it <laughs> indexed it as train. So like, yeah, like AI stuff is getting smarter, but it's not like, yeah, it's not like it's, it's going to develop a going... personality, you know? And if it does, it's going to be hilarious because it's going to speak like a Californian. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I I think it's way more likely that uh, machines will end up like in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where in order to program machines to do a task, they found it easier to um, just turn them into like... Like they have some some amount of agency, and it like it they program doors to be like happy when they open and close, because it's easier than programming think... them, <laughs> like doing a bunch of programming for like all the con- different contingencies of a door. <laughs> yeah, it makes me it makes me think of those robots in Interstellar. Um, I sort of remember that. I I only saw that movie once. Well, it was a long time ago. Well, yeah, where basically they um. They they took the, the, the robots and they have personality settings. So dial back the the humor to 70%, uh, <laughs> sarcasm down to 40%, yeah. so on and so forth. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess the like, thing is, like, you could conceivably make computers mimic a bunch of 
different personality traits of humans and like jumble them together and stuff. But I guess like the real thing is like, does it have any actual agency for itself? Like yeah. if you and, left it alone, would it start criteria. doing things that were different than like what was ever intended for it? You know, hmm. I think that's like a sign of intelligence, but even that like animals have that too. So, and, and then like, can you have like more or less agency? Like, like, could you, could you compare like the amount of agency that a uh, crow has to that of a human and say like, we could one day create uh, a machine that has more agency than a human or something like that. I don't know if that's possible. Well, I think like, I think, um, at the end of the day, you have to take a network view to everything. Mm-hmm. All the latest research is showing that a lot of human agency is not our agency at all. Right. Like, we are very, very subject to our gut micro, uh, microbiome. Like, <laughs> uh, you, you think you're angry? You're not angry. Your gut biome is really angry about you not feeding it a specific chemical uh, three days in a row. Like, (laughs) you don't really want to get on that train and go and visit the the person that you think you want to go and visit. Your gut biome has just basically said, uh, last time we were there, we got this specific chemical. We want that chemical again. Let's make him go there again. (laughs) Uh, And obviously, it's not that specific. We're not... I'm not busy giving an entire biome of of bacterium uh, that level of agency where they're working in cohesion and have a hive mind capable of controlling us. But we we're getting to that point now where the the very notion of free will it's long gone, man. It is long, long gone. Yeah, we, we don't have free will in the sense that that almost everyone would like us to believe. Um, the, the extent of our free will has now come down to you get to choose, do you want the chocolate or the strawberry ice cream? <laughs> and, and, and that's it. That, that's really it. In the moment, you have some choice. But a lot of that choice is also predetermined by a gazillion factors. So... Yeah, I'm actually hoping someone listens to this episode and argues with me about this on Twitter. So yeah, yeah, I don't care, man. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm an idealist. I've had the free will debate. I don't even I've believe in materialism. So many- but yeah, I think um, I think we way overestimate the extent of our knowledge about the world. Yeah, I think we have a, we have a very solid, coherent model of understanding the world that uh is probably missing a lot of shit that we're always discovering that we just haven't fit yeah, in yet you know in alfred korzybski's um science and sanity mm-hmm. he he explains at length um how we are fundamentally disassociated from reality yeah there's From the time that you touch something to the time that that signal has traveled along the pathways and reaches um, the the 
cognitive processing centers in the brain and uh, and we're able to interpret the signals that we're receiving there time has passed the now that we think we are in has already happened we're we're we're, we're past that moment we are forever playing catch up with reality yeah there's that there's we, that study i think it's multiple studies that like they tested people's like decision making they they were and there's a lot of contention about whether or not this is actually something you can measure but they measured their the brain activity um when they gave them a, a decision to make and according to the study their brain made the decision like instantly or like even before it was shown or something like that and then like yeah 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 and then then they consciously like came out with it so like they made and, up their mind the immediately is, but didn't realize it yeah the, the thing is um the the way this actually works is uh our our the, the first point at which information gets processed in the brain is we we deal with um our cognitive biases so the very first thing that happens is anything that might screw up your worldview, that might cause some kind of cognitive dissonance, the the reptilian brain tosses that right out the fucking bat. <laughs> okay, so the the very first choice that we cognitively make is to ignore shit that might bother us. So that speeds everything up, and we can then toss it into the the uh God, now I can't... The amygdala. And we can emotionally process things, which is... It's basically abstract reasoning. It's the ability to... Uh, and this is what makes the human brain great, is the ability to make connections where there are no fucking connections. Yeah. Like uh, uh, being able to say, well, well, we'll make this direct connection between Los Angeles and New York even though in reality there are like 20 different stops in between, the human brain doesn't do that. It makes the immediate connection through that kind of abstract reasoning. And uh, from there, it then passes into the cognitive area where we consciously think about things. And so before we've even gotten to the point of thinking through something, our mind is already made up. We've already decided on something. And... The, um, by by forming patterns throughout our lives uh, in, in memory, we're able to look at the gist of what is about to happen, and our brain goes, oh, I've seen this kind of scenario once before when I was three years old and I was half asleep, stumbling through the dark, and, and it knows. And so it decides what the answer is before you've even been asked the question. Well, Peter, uh, you're obviously not a computer scientist because uh, that's just called memoization. All you're doing is yeah. you are uh, taking a function, um, you're looking at the inputs, and you're computing uh, the answer, the the result of that function, and then you're storing uh, the inputs that you gave and the output to speed up processing. So that's all that is. Yes. Humans are exactly yes. like computers. Humans are Humans are exactly like computers, and uh, this is proven by every libertarian ever. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just before we get back on track with our very last point, um, 
I posted an image in the in in our show notes uh, that's just related to this AI stuff. Um, did you did you see yeah, it? Yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Basically, it's a computer, uh, a, a robot sitting at a computer, um, and it pops up saying, "Prove you are not a human." And the robot responds by saying, "There are no humans." <laughs> and the computer says, "Correct." And they both laugh about it. It says, "There are no more." <laughs> <laughs> which I think is a little funnier. Um, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. So, uh, Saturday okay, morning so s- Saturday very... morning breakfast cereal. Check them out sometime. <laughs> yeah, no, they're... they're and I love their comics. Um, okay, so the last thing I love to know promoting things about... that are more popular on our show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have you guys, uh, yeah, have so... you guys heard of uh, John Oliver? Check them out sometime. <laughs> <laughs> So, have you guys heard about uh, uh, Infowars? <laughs> you know this guy, President Trump? Check him out. He's got a Twitter account. <laughs> I'm actually having to hold the microphone very far away from me now because the laughing might get um, overboard. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. So, the last thing about Jack Ma um, is that he created a Millennium Prize, similar kind of thing, um, for Africans who are pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. Woo! Uh, now, yeah! Um, African bootstraps are, of course, uh, made from real leather, as opposed to the faux leather uh, that you find in the rest of the world. Um, these prizes are they're actually very popular. Um, I knew They're probably pretty popular before. in Africa, especially, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, but... They inevitably involve enriching people who are already capable of enriching themselves because nobody gets the money unless they actually do something, which costs money um, right. and all connections. Yeah, I guess I didn't write this down. I thought I did. But um, the prize the prize pool, it's $10 million over 10 years, which means um, up to a million dollars per year. But from the sound of it, there's going to be multiple winners. So people are going to be sharing $1 million, which is like nothing. Not if you're African, dude. Yeah, a million dollars goes a very long way. But it's in, less than a million. It's Africa. not. It's not a million dollars. You'd be. You would be sharing it with multiple people. It's less than a million dollars. Dude, if I send, if I send a thousand dollars back home to South Africa, that's thirty-five thousand rand and enough to start a business or, um, like. That's rent for a year for them. God damn. Yeah. See, back to the whole so, comparing yeah. prices between countries thing. No, no, no. But this is just literally if I send $1,000 to my mom right now, that's her rent covered for the year. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> hmm. Or maybe it's not. I don't know. Who gives a shit? Anyway, I, 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 Millennium I mean, Prize. for her to... For her to earn the same amount of money back in South Africa would take her a fuckload longer than it would take me here. Right. Yeah. Just to be clear, it, like the money that she earns there in an hour wouldn't fucking pay for me to get a loose cigarette here. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Um, was there anything more? That's all I had, I guess. Well, I... Look at that. We actually finished uh, at least an hour and a half. So, yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. 
So uh, to conclude, all all billionaires are bad. None of them are good. They're really like we tried, guys. We tried. Yeah. We, we searched long and hard and deep and fast and slow, and it's just it's not there. Turns out every They're billionaire is a piece of shit. Very much so, and most of them come from other pieces of shit. Yeah. And on that absolutely cheery note, uh, we <laughs> will bid you goodbye. And uh, you can check us out on Twitter. Um, it's at NeighborsSciPod. Yep. Uh, you can find Ryan at Handle of Rye. Um, that's without an E at the end, but with an E at the end of Handle. Um, you can you find take me both on E's at. Out. <laughs> yeah, you, you really should. Handle of Rye. Uh, just ha- <laughs> um, yeah you can find me at bookchikite that's b-o-o-k-c-h-e-e-k-i-t-e um, you can also check out book our chi patreon kite. yes bookchikite <laughs> no bookchikite uh, bookchikite god I'm never going to be able to unsee that now <laughs> god damn it Ryan <laughs> You're a type of okay, kite. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm bitch. Dying. Bye. Um, uh, yeah, you uh, you can support us on Patreon. Uh, you can find us there at Neighbor Science. Yep. Uh, Facebook uh, for slash Neighbor Science. Um, you can check us out on Instagram at Neighbor Science. Um, and, uh, yeah, as mentioned earlier in the episode, we really do expect everyone to go onto iTunes. You can set up a fake account or whatever. We don't care. Just give us a five-star rating. So that if you we don't, can you're in breach of contract and the hell dude will sue you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> also, we really want to like top out these NPR douchebags that somehow get top rated, um, podcasts, even though their podcasts are absolute shite. Um, and, and, and admit it, our content is better. So yeah, we could there. definitely beat, uh, John, uh, Favreau and, uh, Dan, Dan Pfeiffer. Come on. <laughs> Dan I believe in Pfeiffer. us. Those guys are boring as fuck. Who cares? Who cares what they yeah, say? Come on. <laughs> like they'll tell you that Jack Ma is a good guy. Yeah. We'll tell you the fucking truth. They're a bunch of fucking dronies, dude. <laughs> they don't care about anything. We care yeah. about stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I mean not. Uh, well, I do, I do. Ryan, Ryan, not so much, but yeah, you know, he's Ryan. Yeah, four billion dead cops. World is a fuck. I am trash yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.